essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Hey wrestling fans, welcome to this week's edition of Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. Be sure to share this on any of the outlets that we're available on, including YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and anywhere else that podcasts are downloaded. On this week's episode, we're going to check out the Smash Wrestling and Ontario Independent Wrestling calendar for this week and next week coming up. Along with that, you'll find out how you can be in the scumbag section at the next Smash Wrestling event in Tilsonburg. We'll also check out all the results from WWE, Hell in a Cell, Raw, NXT, SmackDown Live, AWE, Dynamite, NWA Power, Impact Wrestling, leading up to Bound for Glory, and much, much more. Plus, we'll also check out the news of the week. I'll be right back after these very short messages. Are you looking to get into the wrestling business? Well, look no further than the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, located right here in London, Ontario. It's Tyson has over 20 years of experience in the wrestling world, and he's even been brought down to the WWE Performance Center to be a guest trainer. We've already seen the likes of Jordan James, Kyle Boone, Violet Lee, Jim Strider, Pharaoh Bowman, Chris Mitchells, and many more. Plus, the new generation that are coming from the second group, such as Josh Pine, Shiloh, Nova, Frankie War, and many more. You don't want to miss your opportunity to learn from one of the best in Ontario, if not all of Canada, or the world, in Tyson Dukes. So that's the Tyson Dukes Rust Factory. It's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, and located at 309 Exeter Road here in London. Hello, do you or someone you know have a business that you'd love to have advertised here on our podcast? Well, give me a shout at our email address, scumbagswrestling at gmail.com, and let us know how we can help you advertise to the listeners of this podcast. We'll give your business a shout out, including information on how people can reach out to you and information on your services. Welcome back to the show. As always, we check out the independent wrestling scene to start off the show, and we always start with Smash Wrestling. 
Smash Wrestling returns to action on October 27th in Tilsonburg, Ontario at the Lions Auditorium. We have ourselves a group deal, and if you'd like to be part of the Scumbags Wrestling section, send me a direct message on our Facebook page, and I can tell you how you can be a part of that. Smash Wrestling has filled out the card, and here's what you can expect when you attend Smash Wrestling in Tilsonburg. Smash Wrestling is bringing a triple threat match between three very different, very exciting competitors. All the making of a show stealer. Prepare to be entertained as Psycho Mike Rollins, the King of the North, Carter Mason, and Tyler Turva, the Saturday Night Delight, all lock up in three-way action. Then two young, hungry competitors square off as Devin Devine takes on Jim Strider. Will Strider continue his meteoric ascent through the ranks of Smash Wrestling, or will Devine bring that momentum to a screeching halt as he looks to carve out his own path? It'll be a battle of the big boys as the devastating dawn of Disgraceland. John Greed takes on the powerhouse son of wrestling machine, Ethan Dukes. Will Greed's wily veteran skills lead him to victory, or is Ethan Dukes going to show the dawn that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? There'll be tag team action as the exciting fan favorites, physical attraction, Violet Lee and Muscle get to set their sights on the Smash Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Halal Beefcake, Idris Abraham, and Joe Coleman. Can Violet Lee manage to keep the muscle focused on the task at hand, or will the champs continue to dominate the tag team division? Corey Stone isn't one to waste time, as he declared war on the Pillars his very first night in Smash Wrestling. That war continues October 27th, as he takes on the veteran statesman of the Pillars, the wrestling machine, Tyson Dukes. Will Duke's unbreakable tenacity make Stone just another brick in the wall for the veteran, or will the Canadian buzzsaw continue to cut his way through the core of Smash Wrestling? In the main event of the evening, sees tag team action with former Smash Wrestling champion Tarek and the endorsement Sebastian Suave take on the devastating duo of Roscoe Black and Smash Wrestling champion The Remix, Kevin Bennett. Are the pillars going to continue to dominate as they've been... Everywhere they go, or will the champ and his powerhouse partner have some tricks up their sleeves? Find out this and more as Smash Wrestling returns to Tilsonburg, Ontario on October 27th. Then, Smash Wrestling returns to Brock University for Proving Grounds in St. Catharines, November 8th. The first of many matches has been announced as Tyler Hill is looking to break into the Smash Wrestling roster. Is he ready to take on Carter Mason? Mason is no stranger to the proving ground, fighting his way into his spot and then proving he belongs there again and again. Hill will certainly have to be at his best to prove himself against the King of the North. All this action happens at Brock University in St. Catharines at Isaac's Bar and Grill, November 8th. And finally on the Smash Wrestling calendar, Smash Wrestling returns to St. Thomas, Last time they were there, they said they are going to bring the TV cameras, and this should be their opportunity to do so, to record for the Fight Network. It happens November 23rd at 5 p.m. at the Joe Thornton Community Center in St. Thomas. Once again, the Scumbags of Wrestling will have their very own section to cheer on all the action, and you can be a part of it. Just contact me to find out how you can get a special group rate 
and be a part of all the action happening in St. Thomas. This concludes your Smash Wrestling calendar for the upcoming events. Now, looking at the independent wrestling calendar for the next two weekends. On Friday, October 11th, C4 presents Underground, live at Beyond the Pale Brewing Company in Ottawa, Ontario. The show is completely sold out, but there is a small chance that they will release additional tickets in the afternoon. You'll see one-on-one competition with Aiden Prince taking on the Red Death, Daniel Garcia. There'll be a four-way match, including Kevin Blackwood, Frank Milano, Kevin Blanchard, and Holden Albright. Kevin Bennett takes on Junior Benito. McCray Martin goes one-on-one with Puff. There'll be a three-way match involving Mario Tendiglia, Thomas LaDuke, and Mark Wheeler, the Golden Gun. Plus, there's the first-ever Tag Memorial Tournament involving TDT. Leguris du Ring, Jason Gray, and Noor. 40 Acres, PB Smooth, and Trey Lamar. Fear the Beard, Kayan and Cable. Punk Rock Pussycats, Alley Cat and Jody Threat. Fight or Flight, Von Vertigo and Gabriel Ferreza. Double Dragons, Pat and Eddie, and Spunk and Logan, a.k.a. The Best. All this happens tonight as C4 Wrestling presents Underground, live at Beyond the Pale Brewery. Then, Saturday, October 12th, Battle of the Brewery, presented by Chinlock Wrestling, at Spearhead Brewing Company in Kingston, Ontario. Join Chinlock Wrestling as they welcome WWE legend Santino Morella to their first ever live wrestling show inside a brewery at Spearhead Brewing Company. The event will feature a meet and greet with Santino, Elementary Edition Chinlock Wrestling Beer, and all the Chinlock Wrestling stars in action. Tickets are on sale now and available at chinlockwrestling.com or at Spearhead Brewing at the bar. Also on Saturday, October 12th, Pro Wrestling Ontario presents Prophets of War. Happening at the Austrian Continental Club in Burlington, Ontario. Two of the most unique personalities on the scene today. And while they're known for their quirks, they're also known for their abilities in the ring. So the big question is, who will win as Space Monkey takes on Pretty Ricky Wildy? There'll be a fatal four-way for the Openweight Championship as Heavyweight Jake Jones, with April Jones by his side, defends the title against... The Night Train, Justin Sane, The Golden Gun, Mark Wheeler, and Canadian Bad Boy, Tyler Hill. There'll be a six-way elimination match for the Internet Championship, featuring straight-up Taylor K. Dean, Zero Gravity, Tyler Arrow, Lean Worldwide, The Undeniable, Matthew Grant, The Reject, J.T. Kirk, and The Wanderer, Wade Allen. The Trios Championship match will feature three three-man tag teams, including White Trash Circus, Absolute Anarchy, and the three-man tag team of Kobe Durst, Carter Mason, and Brett Michael David. Another three-way match will see Mike Forte, Cutthroat Chris Logan, and Clay Wilson all battle each other. 
Breaking news from Pro Wrestling Ontario sees hacker Scotty O'Shea out of his match due to unforeseen circumstances beyond his control. O'Shea cannot make it to this Saturday's show. However, management has put the decision of who will take Hacker's place in the hands of Bone Crusher Steve Brown, which could still give Brown the advantage, as AC and DeLuca won't know exactly who to prepare for. Who will it be? Find out Saturday, October 12th, as Pro Wrestling Ontario presents Profits of War at the Austrian Continental Club in Burlington, Ontario. Then, on October 13th, Robbie of the Highlanders is presenting a seminar at the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 43 in Oshawa, Ontario. It's underway at 11.30 until 2.30. Robbie the Highlander has entertained fans all over the world with his start in Ontario Indy to his time in the big stage on WWE. Robbie was trained by Waldo Von Erich and brings with him a wealth of knowledge. The seminar is open to both male and female previously trained wrestlers looking for the extra that only a wily veteran can provide. The seminar is $40 and is part of the PWE event happening later on in the afternoon. Interested wrestlers must meet the approval of PWE and Robbie, but that all happens Sunday, October 13th at the Royal Canadian Legion Branch number 43 in Oshawa, Ontario. Right after that seminar, PWE presents Rocktoberfest 2019. Doors open at 2.30 and it's happening at the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 43 in Oshawa, Ontario. Stars in action will see Cody Diener, Robbie the Highlander, Quan Chang, Jules Malone, CC Moss, Leem Worldwide, Carter Mason, The Pillars, Tyson Dukes, and Tarek, HV Warriors, and many more of the PWE stars. Also on Sunday, October 13th, New School Wrestling presents No Thanks Needed in Hamilton, Ontario. The Empire takes on Two-Tone Chrome with St. Stephen Elias. Hacker Scotty O'Shea is set to go against Rough House Jeff Black. New School Wrestling Brass Knuckles Championship will be online as Bone Crusher Steve Brown takes on Jake Heavyweight Jones. New School Wrestling Tag Team Championships will be online as Locked and Loaded take on Fight or Flight. And the main event sees New School Wrestling Heavyweight Championship on the line as Brett Michael David defends against Alessandro Del Bruno. Finishing off Sunday's activities is Destiny Wrestling presenting Haywire at the Battle Arts Academy in Mississauga, Ontario, Sunday, October 13th. This event will be recorded for the Fight Network with Destiny Champion Josh Alexander taking on Marty Skrull. Destiny Next Generation Champion Trey Miguel will be in action along with Aiden Prince, Kevin Blackwood, Channing Decker, RJ City, and it will be hosted by Canada's own Alicia Atout. I'm president of Destiny World Wrestling in studio, getting ready, filming some stuff for our upcoming fall show on uh, Fight Network. It's going to be pretty amazing, but coming up Sunday, October 13th, 
haywire, a TV taping, the cameras, the set, the lights. It's going to be amazing. Once you be part of the action, and tickets are almost sold out. We only got about 200 tickets left, and that's it. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Already signed, confirmed, the one and only Dalton Castle going to be taking on RJ City. Kevin Blackwood taking on Trey Miguel for the Destiny Next Generation Championship. That's going to be absolutely awesome. Of course, another big one, Channing Decker taking on Sean Spears. Ladies and gentlemen, fashion your seatbelts, anything can happen. And of course, the main event, the Destiny World title is on the line. And of course, the champion, the walking weapon, Josh Alexander will be taking on the villain, Marty Skrull, ladies and gentlemen, a huge main event. Be part of it and get your tickets. Go to destinyworldwrestling.com and get your tickets. It's going to be sold out. And I want to see each and every one of you ringside. Monday might be Thanksgiving, but that doesn't mean there isn't wrestling action as Championship Wrestling from Ontario presents What Are You Thankful For? happening at the Rock Pile in Toronto starting at 1 p.m. Clash Kincaid will take on Kyle Brooks. Freebeard Brandon Tidwell takes on Adrian Astar. Travis Moore faces Young Love. Plus, many more of your favorite championship wrestling from Ontario talent. And it's all happening during What Are You Thankful For? Monday, October 14th at the Rock Pile in Toronto. Doors open at 1 p.m. Now let's look at what's happening the following weekend. On Saturday, October 19th, Hamilton Pro Wrestling presents Fright Night, happening at the Don Polsky Center in Hamilton, Ontario. Hamilton Pro Wrestling presents their 15th event, Fright Night. Join in on the action in what is promised to be a fun night for all ages on Saturday, October 19th at their home, the Don Polsky Hall. This venue is one of the best around and offers parking, cold drinks, food, and the promise of some awesome wrestling action as the HPW championships are set to be defended. Don't miss out on this high-flying, hard-hitting, body-slamming night. Heavyweight Jake Jones takes on Mike Forte. Raunchy Ronnie Randelson takes on Ricky Stardust. Chris Logan faces... Safe, Travis Moore. Johnny D takes on Evan Greenway. On Saturday, October 19th, Great North Wrestling presents their wrestling show featuring Haku, Savio Vega, Harry Smith, and Wes Briscoe. It's happening at Jean-Marc Lalonde Arena in Rockland, Ontario. In tag team action, you'll see Harley Davidson and Colin Oliver take on Steve McDaniel and Phoenix. There'll be a tables match with the Bruiser taking on high-flying Mathis Meyer. Women's Championship of Canada match featuring special guest referee Melanie Havoc has Jessica Black defending her title against Lady Asmund. The Canadian Championship match will be defended in triple threat action with special guest referee Senator Patrick Brazo as Wes Briscoe with Dark Clash in his corner takes on Max Testosterone and Jeremy Prophet. The Hannibal TV HWT title will be on the line as the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith Jr. takes on the champion 
Nathan Banner. This will also feature former WWE and WCW legend Haku facing off against the Blood Hunter. All this and more as Great North Wrestling returns to the Jean-Marc Lalonde Arena in Rockland, Ontario, Saturday, October 19th at 8 p.m. Then on Sunday, October 20th, IPWA presents Ruffin's Halloween Bash. It's a charity event for the Simcoe and District Humane Society happening in Port Rowan Community Center in Port Rowan, Ontario. Some of the stars you'll see in action include Tyler Arrow, Rip Impact, Corey Stone, Chris Logan, and Sabrina Kyle. There'll also be a Halloween costume contest, all this in support of the Humane Society. You won't want to miss the Simcoe and District Humane Society presents IPWA and Ruffin's Halloween Bash. Also on Sunday, October 20th, here on Wrestling Entertainment presents their show in Wingham, Ontario. Doors open at 7 p.m. And finally, wrapping up the calendar, on Sunday, October 20th, Jake the Snake Roberts presents Jake the Snake Dirty Details at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, Ontario. Doors open at 8 p.m. Jake is also hitting Toronto on October 22nd at Yuck Yucks, Oshawa on October 23rd at Yuck Yucks, and Burlington on October 24th at Yuck Yucks. Tickets can be found by going to yuckyucks.com for ticket purchasing and information. This concludes your wrestling calendar for this next two weeks. Hey, it's Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbag Podcast. Before we get into the results for the different shows this week, I wanted to take a look at some of the things that have been posted recently in wrestling, and I'm really enjoying Jimmy Corderas' Ref and Rant that happens Monday through Friday. One of the recent Ref and Rants included talk about the ratings. Now, there's this whole big war that's... WWE is starting, apparently, because AEW is claiming we're not in a war. WWE is doing all this. Yet, Chris Jericho did make some references during his talk at the start of this week's episode. But regardless of you feeling that it is a war or not, you must admit, Wednesday nights, whether you're in the United States, are really good because you get to see two great wrestling shows. But... That brings us to the refing rant and what this topic is about. And I would love to hear your opinions on our Facebook page, The Scumbags Wrestling. Jimmy Corderas pointed out that, yes, AEW is winning the ratings war. But in the end, what does the ratings mean to a fan such as you and I who want to enjoy wrestling for what it is, wrestling? Does a low rating prevent you from watching a TV show regardless of what it is? Does your enjoyment of a wrestling show change when you find out that the rating is lower than what people thought it should be? If it does, why does a number reflect that? If you enjoyed the show, you should still be able to say, yes, that was a good show. 
instead of all of a sudden second-guessing yourself and crapping on whatever episode you feel was now bad, considering the other guys did this compared to your show. In the end, we're all just wrestling fans. There's companies out there that need our support, whether it's Smash Wrestling, Impact, AEW, Ring of Honor, WWE, NXT, which is still WWE either way, New Japan, whatever it is. Enjoy wrestling for what it is. The numbers should mean nothing. The only number that does mean something is for the networks, the companies, and the advertisers who are going to spend money to advertise during these shows. Other than that, we should all be just enjoying and be thankful for the entertainment that is being provided. I posed this question earlier on our Facebook page, and Trevor Harris responded that he doesn't personally watch a lot of weekly shows right now. However, since AEW is new and it comes off more exciting, it gives him a reason to want to keep watching. He also stated that he watches wrestling as a wrestling fan, not as a Fox executive. Taylor Wetton responded by saying he thinks a lot of the cases it comes down to ratings for people thinking ratings mean quality and he never sees that as the case. Regardless of whether or not AEW beat NXT in the ratings is one thing but AEW has been putting on a lot better product than NXT. And he thinks all in all the overall product needs to be evaluated. I'd like to thank Taylor and Trevor for being part of the conversation, and as I said, I invite you to be a part of the conversation. Does the rating of a number coming out mean that a show is good or bad to you, or do you just enjoy the wrestling show for being a wrestling show, like Trevor and Taylor have said? Join us for the conversation on our Facebook page. WWE moved SmackDown from USA Network on Tuesday nights to Friday nights on Fox. But that didn't mean the Tuesday nights were not going to have wrestling on them. As seen this past week, the debut of NWA Power. You can see Power every week on their YouTube channel and on their Facebook page. It starts at 6.05. And we're going to attempt to have a watch party every week for Power on our Facebook page. NWA Power takes you to the older style of way wrestling was in the 80s when the NWA would record in a studio rather than in front of a full-packed arena after Turner had taken over. NWA Power is hosted by Joe Galley and Jim Cornette, and Jim Cornette went through a quick history of the NWA with a B-roll of archive photos and video that he had in his own personal collection. There's also a gentleman by the name of David Marquez who does the ringside interviewing at the studio side of things, much like how Tony Schiavone would do on NWA from Georgia. The show started off with the NWA champion Nick Aldis coming out to be interviewed by David Marquez and he complimented the locker room and the champions that represent the NWA. And he also paid respect to his opponent that 
would happen at the end of the night of Tim Storm, who he had taken the title from almost two years ago. There was a quick tag match featuring the Dawsons taking on Sal Renau and Billy Buck. It was done in under two minutes with then the Dawsons cutting a promo saying about them being bullies of the NWA and wanting tag title shot. Eli Drake had done a promo and saying that the NWA today is for men, not for children to be running around and trying to do flips and everything else that they like to do, that the NWA was a place for him because he is a man. And Eli Drake took on Caleb Conley. Drake hit the gravy train for the win there. And that took just over four minutes of action. Drake came off really well. I think uh, having a name like Eli Drake as part of this, as well as Nick Aldis, is definitely going to help. We'll see what other names are possibly going to be a part of this that will help get eyes on this product. Josephus came out and interrupted Cornette and Galley and was demanding to have Storm out there. He was actually answered by James Storm, the cowboy, James Storm, and they ended up in a brawl and eventually later on would end up facing each other. The tag team champions, Wildcard, Thomas Latimer and Royce Isaacs, took on a tag team of Danny White and Mims. This was a non-title match with Latimer and Royce Isaacs picking up the victory in just over two minutes. As Thomas Latimer and Royce Isaacs were being interviewed by Marquez, they were interrupted by Eddie Kingston. Eddie insulted uh, Bram, Tommy Boy, whatever he wanted to be called, Royce Isaacs. And then, as things got heated, Homicide joined Kingston, and they were about to square off, but were distracted when James Storm and Josephus came back out brawling into the audience. When they came back from their short break, Josephus said that he would only accept a match against James Storm if he had his hands behind his back. James Storm agreed, and they did that, but Storm ended up hitting the last call, super kick, on Josephus, winning in record time. Josephus then got another last call, super kick, after the match was over. We ended up seeing some highlights of 10 pounds of gold, where Aldous ended up defeating Tim Storm to take the championship in 2017. Joe Galley then interviewed James Storm before his match, and that set up their main event with Nick Aldis taking on Tim Storm for the NWA Championship. If Storm lost this match, he would not get another shot at the NWA Heavyweight Championship. It was also announced that NWA Women's Champion Allison Kay would be in action on next week's episode, happening next Tuesday on their YouTube and Facebook channels. Aldis and Storm brawled all over the area, Inside the ring and outside the ring, there was a Texas Cloverleaf. There was a missed clothesline from Aldous on Storm, who ended up hitting Camilla. 
Brian Hebner was part of this match as the referee, and Storm took advantage of the distraction of Brian Hebner hitting a low blow and a perfect storm, and the fans thought that the title was actually going to change, and that's when on the floor, Aldis then uh, missed the clothesline hitting Camilla, and Storm capitalized on the ring with the suplex and then hit the cradle for Aldis to get the three count, and he retained the NWA Heavyweight Championship over James, or, sorry, Tim Storm, and that would be Storm's last attempt at getting the title. Joe Galley ended the show with an interview with the champion, and they put over Tim Storm and the respect, but Aldis wouldn't allow Carmilla to answer uh, Galley's question if she was okay or not, just said that she'd be okay, and... That's how they ended up ending the show with dissension between Camilla and Nick Aldis. Overall, this NWA presentation is definitely a throwback. It was a different concept on what we're used to seeing as wrestling presentation today, but we've also only seen the WWE presentation for the longest time. And that's what a lot of other organizations take as the be-all and end-all of how to present wrestling. Even AEW Dynamite looks a lot like a WWE Raw or SmackDown presentation. Same with Impact Wrestling. They still have the same style as a WWE presentation. Ring of Honor, the same way. This NWA power takes you back 30 plus years to the way it was before everything started booming for the NWA and WCW purchased by Ted Turner. Having a historian of the NWA like Jim Cornette as a part of it is definitely something to help the company give some name recognition along with having James Storm, Nick Aldis, and Eli Drake. We'll see who else pops up and how the show continues as they get towards announcing probably another pay-per-view for the NWA, but I don't see it being on a regular basis, maybe one every four months, maybe twice a year. We'll see what the NWA has in store, but as of now, we have an alternative to even the alternative with NWA Power in a one-hour format every Tuesday night at 6.05. Now let's check out the news from AEW. AEW premiered a new show happening on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. on their YouTube channel. It's hosted by Tony Schiavone, and it's called AEW Dark. These matches are recorded on Wednesday nights after the cameras start rolling for AEW Dynamite. As I said, it's hosted by Tony Schiavone, and he's in the control room. And he welcomes people and thanks them for making Dynamite the number one show premiere in pro wrestling history. Then he sends it to the ring and we see Darby Allen take on Seema. Darby Allen ended up picking up the victory over Seema, which proves valuable for what happened the next night on Dynamite. 
Then there was an eight-man tag team match featuring the Hybrid 2, which is the new name of the tag team for Angelico and Jack Evans, and they teamed up with the Lucha Brothers, Phoenix, and Pentagon. They took on Private Party, Mark Quinn, and Isaiah Cassidy, and the team of best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta, who had Orange Cassidy in their corner. As expected, when you have this many people in one match, there was a lot of brawls going on, but in the end, Pentagon and Phoenix hit kicks to the side of the heads of Trent Beretta and Chuck Taylor, picking up the victory when Penta pinned Taylor. The third match was another tag team encounter featuring the women this time, and it had Dr. Britt Baker and Allie taking on the team of Penelope Ford and B. Priestley. B. Priestley and Britt Baker have been in a feud since All Out when Baker was taken out of the ring and cost the number one contenders match for the women's title by Priestley, who had already been eliminated. So, of course, that was definitely a focus in this tag team match. The ending saw Baker hit a neckbreaker and a submission on Penelope Ford to get the victory for herself and Allie. Before the main event of the AEW Dark, Tony Schiavone recapped everything that happened on AEW Dynamite on their premiere episode and then sent it to the ring for the main event of SCU, Christopher Daniels and Frank Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, taking on Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and Marco Stunt. The ending saw Kazarian and Scorpio Sky working together and planted a backstabber onto Marco Stunt. They went for the cover and got the victory for SCU. This concluded the first week of AEW Dark. Then that took us Wednesday night to Boston, Massachusetts for the second episode of All Elite Wrestling Dynamite on TNT. Once again, our hosts for the show were Tony Schiavone, Excalibur, and Jim Ross, and they were at the table welcoming everybody to the show. The first match out was round one of the AEW Tag Team title tournament with Private Party taking on the Young Bucks. This was definitely a battle of the East Coast versus West Coast, with Private Party hailing from Brooklyn and the Bucks from Rancho Cucamonga, California. The experience of the Young Bucks was evident at the start, as they were constantly doing multiple tags in and out of the ring and keeping Private Party inside the ring the whole time. Mark Quinn quickly cleaned house with a 450 splash, among other high-flying moves, and neither team really played any defense. Matt Jackson hit a powerbomb on Isaiah Cassidy into the steel ramp, setting up a powerbomb slice brand number two from Mark Quinn. The arena erupted into This Is Awesome chants, and Matt began taunting Private Party, yelling, What do you got? After a spear on Mark Quinn, Matt Jackson nearly got the victory, but Quinn was able to kick out and tagging Cassidy, who hit a double hurricanrana on the Young Bucks. Private Party attempted to hit the Silly String uh, sequence on Matt, but that was blocked and was turned into a double suplex. The tandem offense on display from the Bucks was extraordinary, and Nick hit 
a fierce face buster and a backflip on Mark Quinn to the outside. All this action ended up getting the fans chanting fight forever and Private Party hit gin and juice on the Bucks, but then Mark Quinn hit a shooting star press on Mark Jackson, who also kicked out at two. The Young Bucks attempted to do a Meltzer driver, but that was countered by Private Party, and they ended up picking up the victory over the Young Bucks and advanced to the second round of the tag team tournament. Up next was AEW world champion Chris Jericho, and he came out with his gang that featured Jake Hagar, Sammy Guevara, Santana, and Ortiz. Jericho took credit for all the accolades of the debut of AEW Dynamite and wanted everybody to thank him. Jericho went on to introduce his inner circle of friends and that they are the inner circle of AEW and he called Sammy Guevara a Spanish god. Santana and Ortiz were psychos and also said Viva La Raza which was in honor of Eddie Guerrero as it was also would have been his 52nd birthday. Then when Jericho introduced Jake Hager the crowd started a We the People chant because that's what he was doing in Bellator and, of course, where he picked it up in WWE as Jack Swagger when he was teamed up with Seb Coulter. Jericho quickly stopped the crowd and said that We the People sucks and it was dead and buried. It was a stupid idea from bad creative and all that's gone. Jake Hager is the most feared MMA fighter on the planet today. He's undefeated, and that was a shoot. Jericho then said he didn't like Cody or Cody's family, and Jericho continued that on November 9th at Full Gear, on their next pay-per-view, that he was going to beat the ever-living shit out of Cody. And they are the inner circle, and you're welcome before they end up leaving the ring. Darby Allen and Jimmy Havoc were deemed number one contenders to face off against each other and become the true number one contender to face off against Chris Jericho on next week's edition of Dynamite. This was due to Darby defeating Sema just the other week on AEW Dark. Along with Havoc ended up winning the Cracker Barrel brawl that they had at All Out. So they're trying to make it seem as though Records do mean something, and this is how they earned it. They battled back and forth, and there was even Tiger Driver 98, but somehow Darby managed to kick out and rolled up uh, Jimmy with the crucifix. Havoc ended up kicking out, but then Darby hit a coffin drop on Jimmy Havoc right onto Havoc's sternum to gain the victory. So next week on Dynamite, it'll be Darby Allen taking on AEW world champion Chris Jericho. And that should be interesting to note since one of the first matches that Darby Allen had was against Cody Rhodes and they went to a time limit draw. Now this is going to be the opportunity for Jericho to beat Darby Allen and end up saying that he did what Cody couldn't do and this will fuel more towards their battle for the AEW Championship on November 9th at full gear. Or 
you could always have Darby Allen bring it to a draw as well, where Allen gets a huge rub from both Cody and Chris Jericho. But I see it happening in the latter, where Jericho's going to make quick work of Darby Allen and rub it into Cody. The second match had B. Priestley and Emmy Sakura taking on AEW Women's Champion Rio and Dr. Britt Baker. Of course, they continued on with the Baker and Priestley feud with each other, and that was definitely a focus in this match. The ending came when Baker hit a neckbreaker on Sakura and transitioned her into a submission finisher along with a mandible claw since she's the whole dentist thing and which is actually legit mind you but they're definitely playing that up and sakura had to tap out after the match ended baker and Priestley had to be separated by rio and AEW official aubrey edwards there was a interesting or weird video of chuck taylor and tremperetta meeting in a park and hugging and then they were at ringside being interviewed and instead of really answering any question about their thoughts on the tag team tournament coming up they just turned and pointed to orange cassidy and said ask this guy how they're feeling and in a vote of confidence cassidy gave his casual cool freshly squeezed thumbs up so yeah they're just using those three and together as a trio which will be good for going against scu in the future and yeah i guess i think they're going against scu or the lucha brothers in the next round next up was the chairman sean spears taking on moxley and spears came to the ring with tally blanchard by his side and yeah as expected these two basically just brawled with each other in a actually decent match, I will say, as well. Pac was on uh, commentary with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone and Excalibur. He kind of was correct in complaining about why he was not given a number one contender's opportunity against Chris Jericho, considering he's a 2-0 and record and the people he has beaten to be 2-0. and So he had a good point, but, of course, storyline-wise... They needed to have Darby Allen win to go against Jericho, as noted earlier. The ending, though, between Moxley and Spears uh, geared up when Moxley hit a running knee on Spears in the temple, but he was able to kick out two. Both men exchanged chops and forearms, and Moxley took Spears down with the ruthless clothesline. Moxley then nailed the paradigm shift, and Spears took the three count. After the match, though, Kenny Omega came out to the ramp. He had a broom that was wrapped in barbed wire, along with a bat that was wrapped in barbed wire. He confronted Moxley face-to-face on the ramp. He even tossed the baseball bat to Moxley, and they were about to square off with their barbed wire weapons. But that's when Pac got up from his seat and took the chair and hit Omega in the back of the head. Instead of Moxley taking advantage of this and going after either Pac or a fallen Omega, Moxley just looked towards Pac who ran off 
and looked down at Omega, dropped his baseball bat, and left. The main event of the night saw the natural Dustin Rhodes and Hangman Page team up against the best ever Simon Guevara and AEW World Champion Chris Jericho. Jake Hager was at ringside for Guevara and Jericho, and Tony Schiavone even referenced how Adam Page reminded him a lot of Barry Windham, and Barry Windham and Dustin had a good history of teaming together and being successful when they were in WCW together. With the referee distracted by Guevara, Hager was able to get in and hit Dustin Rhodes with a cheap shot, allowing Jericho to then follow up with the Jewish effect and picking up the victory by pinning Dustin. Guevara, Hager, and Jericho continued to then beat on Hangman Page and Dustin Rhodes until the lights went out, and when they came back on, it was Cody standing there in the center of the ring, ready and willing and able to assist his brother and Hangman. Santana and Ortiz entered the ring and started beating on the Rhodes brothers and Hangman. MJF then stormed the ring with a chair, and it looked as though he was going to turn on Cody as they were holding Cody for him to be laid out with by MJF and the chair. But MJF thought differently and started hitting Ortiz, Santana, and Jericho. As they were celebrating, though, Jericho took out MJF. The Young Bucks ended up coming down to make a rescue, and they ended up finally clearing the ring. MJF and Cody hugged to acknowledge that they were still good friends. Jericho attempted to leave the area with his guys, and all down the ramp came Darby Allen on a skateboard and wiped out the AEW champion. The show ended with Jericho backtracking with his guys and announced that he'll see Darby Allen next week and it'll be his funeral. Next week's episode comes from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We already know that there'll be Darby Allen against Chris Jericho. Another match or two in the AEW Tag Team Tournament that is supposed to happen. Plus, there'll be Rio defending the Women's Championship. Overall, I'd have to say this was another decent episode of AEW Dynamite. Possibly even better than the first episode. More character development happening here. And with them keeping it down to only five matches over a two-hour period. And not really many video packages. Fans are getting more in-ring action than they normally would get on a two-hour episode of any show. Day. It's a big day, and the reason why is that Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Ranger at Seaport is officially sold out, man. Thanks to all of you who booked in the pre-sale. Thanks for all of you who booked early, and thanks to all of you who are going to be joining us for the vacation of a lifetime. Now, here's the thing. If you didn't buy your cabin, if you didn't book your cabin, and you still want to go, we'll put you on the waiting list. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. If somebody has to drop out for whatever reason, you'll be the first one we call. So there's still a chance. Cross your fingers. Maybe somebody double booked themselves. Maybe somebody uh, paid with Monopoly money and we just found out about it. 
Either way, there's still a chance that you can make it on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager and see if you can't, make sure to pre-book early for the next one. But for right now, we are sold out, baby. Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager Part C, that's C Part 2. We'll see you there. Looking at the event calendar for AEW coming up, AEW Dynamite records their next show in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on October 16th. The following week, they're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for episode number four of AEW Dynamite. On that episode, they're listing John Moxley will be in action, plus the World Tag Team Championship Tournament will be down to its semifinals. Then on October 30th, AEW on Dynamite goes to Charleston, West Virginia. We'll see Chris Jericho in action, John Moxley in action, and the World Tag Team Championship Finals will be decided on this episode. On November 6th, AEW Dynamite makes its way to Charlotte, North Carolina, hitting the Bojangles Coliseum which is a staple hold of the old NWA WCW. All that brings us to Saturday, November 9th, as AEW presents Full Gear, their next pay-per-view offering from the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. We'll see tentatively Chris Jericho defend his AEW World Championship against the American Nightmare, Cody. We'll also see the match that was supposed to happen during All Out as John Moxley goes one-on-one against Kenny Omega. Then AEW goes on to Nashville, Tennessee on November 13th. The following week, November 20th in Indianapolis, Indiana. AEW Dynamite goes on to Chicago, Illinois on November 27th. Then Champaign, Illinois for December 4th, AEW Dynamite. And Garland, Texas on December 11th. Tickets for all these events are available by going through the AEWWrestling.com website at AllEliteWrestling.com and click on Events and you can buy tickets. Plus, the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, Part 2, January 2nd to the 24th, Miami to the Bahamas, on the ship of Jericho. It'll be interesting to see what happens on January 22nd for the episode of AEW Dynamite, whether it'll come to us live from the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Or it will be pre-taped somehow. Baltimore. The colorful, diverse city that is Maryland's largest city and economic hub. Known for its beautiful harbor, distinct neighborhoods, unique museums, and delicious crab cakes. Baltimore has been the setting for such iconic moments in wrestling. Superstar Billy Graham defeating Bruno Sammartino for the WWWF title. The second annual Crockett Cup came to Baltimore. Ron Simmons became the first African-American world champion. And in 1990, at the Great American Bash, 
a WCW signature event that made its home in Baltimore. The man called Sting would don the red, white, and blue to take on the champion, Ric Flair, in what would go on to be his first of numerous world title victories. And this November, Sting returns to Baltimore. And for the first time in decades, will return to the red, white, and blue. The jacket. The face paint. The actual world title he won in Baltimore back in 1990. We've got it. A photo opportunity like no other. And only available at StarCast 4. Visit StarCast.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. It was announced earlier on October 11th that Impact Wrestling will air Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on the Fight Network in Canada. It will also move its international feeds, including Portugal and Greece, starting October 27th. Impact will also air on Game TV in Canada, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. The first episode in this new time slot will feature the special entitled This is Impact, which will include non-televised matches from Bound for Glory, the biggest pay-per-view event of the year, plus profiles on Impact Wrestling's biggest stars. This coincides with the move of Impact Wrestling to Access TV from the Pursuit Channel and will also be at Tuesday, 8 o'clock, starting October 22nd, on not only Access, but the Fight Network here in Canada. In the days leading up to Bound for Glory happening on October 20th, you can catch Prelude to Glory, presented by Wrestling Travel. It'll happen on October 18th at 7 p.m. until 10 p.m., and it will be available on the Impact Plus app. Then on Saturday, October 19th, you can catch All Glory, presented by Impact Wrestling, who teams up with a number of different organizations in the Chicago area. All Glory will be available Saturday, October 19th on Twitch. And then Sunday, October 20th, Bound for Glory. It's the biggest event of the year. Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory is coming to Chicago's Odium Expo Center on Sunday, October 20th, and will feature the very best of Impact Wrestling from top to bottom. See the likes of Brian Cage, Sammy Callahan, Tessa Blanchard, Rob Van Dam, Michael Elgin, Tyler Valkyrie, Rhino, Moose, The North, Tennille Dashwood, and so many more of your favorite Impact stars. Bound for Glory currently features eight matches. You'll see the North, Ethan Page, and Josh Alexander defend their tag team champions in a three-way match against Rich Swan and Willie Mack, and the other team being Rhino and Rob Van Dam. There'll be a call-your-shot gauntlet match with the winner choosing any championship match of their choice. Jake Kreese defends the Impact X Division Championship title against Tessa Blanchard, Dega, and two more announced wrestlers. Taya Valkyrie will defend the Impact Wrestling's Knockouts Championship against Tennille Dashwood. 
the Rascals, Desmond Xavier, Trey Miguel, and Zachary Wentz will be in six-man tag action against Dr. Wagner Jr. and two opponents to be decided later. Michael Elgin will go one-on-one -on -one with Marufuji. Ken Shamrock faces off against Moose. And the Impact World Championship title will be defended as Brian Cage takes on Sammy Callahan. That's Bound for Glory, October 20th from Chicago, Illinois. Then, Impact Wrestling will be doing their TV tapings on Friday, October 25th and Saturday, October 26th, coming to you from St. Clair College in Windsor, Ontario. And on the 27th of October, Throwback Throwdown happening in Mississauga, Ontario at the Don Kozlov Arena. Impact Wrestling travels back in time for Throwback Throwdown. Don't miss the amazing night of action. This will be a night unlike any other. The Stars and Knockouts will be in a festive mood on that week leading to Halloween. See the Stars and Knockouts unlike you've seen them before. That's Throwback Throwdown happening at Don Kozlov Arena on Sunday, October 27th. Hey wrestling fans, join me each and every Friday on our Facebook or YouTube channel for the production line. I stop by the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory and catch the stars of tomorrow being built today here in London. Tyson's been in business for the last two years and we've already seen stars come out of the factory such as Violet Lee, Jim Strider, Alec Realm, Jordan James, the Wavemaker, Kyle Boone, the smartest man in wrestling, Michael Grayson, Cyrus Bowman, Rodney Matthews, and Tyson's own son, Ethan Dukes. Many more of the students of the future are seeing their way to the rings in arenas nearby you. You don't want to miss the production line where you can see the beginnings happening today. On the production line each and every Friday. Check us out on Facebook or YouTube. The Signature Spot with Chris Toplack is a weekly podcast available every Thursday that covers the world of professional wrestling. It's an easy to digest show that ranges from 30 to 40 minutes in length and focuses on show recaps, highlights from the week, industry news and rumors, full event previews along with predictions, topics of the week, and featured guests such as journalists and fellow podcasters. It's a professional yet personable show that's all about connecting with you. To subscribe, head over to youtube.com forward slash the signature spot or listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. And to be a part of the conversation, like the signature spot on Facebook. My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. This past Sunday, WD presented their annual Hell in a Cell pay-per-view from Sacramento, California, and it happened on the WD Network. Going into this event, they didn't have much hype for it since they were too busy dealing with the Raw and SmackDown debuts on Fox and USA, plus also gearing up for NXT coming weekly on the USA Network as well. So, unfortunately, 
this year's Hell in a Cell was kind of neglected, and at the same time, some of the matches were rushed and should not have ever happened. With that said, we only had four actually scheduled matches leading into Sunday afternoon. They quickly made announcements during the afternoon to fill out the rest of the card, which kind of looked like just a Monday Night Raw. The only matches that really had any build-up were the tag team match featuring the Bludgeon Brothers taking on Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, Charlotte challenging Bailey for the Women's Championship over on SmackDown, plus the Raw Women's Championship, Sasha challenging Becky Lynch in Hell in a Cell, and Bray Wyatt challenging Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship in Hell in a Cell. So let's now take a quick look back at what a lot of people are considering probably the worst card of 2019, even surpassing what happened at Crown Jewel. We'll have to wait and see if that's actually true or not. The pre-show was a lot of talking about a whole lot of nothing, considering they didn't have much to talk about leading into this, but we did see a pre-show kickoff match with Natalia facing off against Lacey Evans. Lacey attempted to moonsault on Natalia, but she avoided it and forced Evans to tap to the sharpshooter to pick up the victory. Later on, we'd find out that this was not the end of seeing Lacey and Natalia go against each other, and they would go one-on-one -on -one, one more time on Monday night with a last woman standing match. There was also a confrontation during the pre-show with Randy Orton and Ali, and that led to Ali challenging Orton to a match that would take place on the main card. The main card did start, though, with the first Hell in a Cell match, with Becky Lynch defending the Women's Championship from Raw against Sasha Banks. This was actually a really good match, and they were using a lot of the weapons. I even commented to Alex and Jay, who I was watching with, wondering if they're doing all this right now for the women's match, what was going to be left to be special for the men's match later on as the main event. At one point, Becky had set up a few kendo sticks in the corner of the cage and set a chair on top, then put Sasha on top of the chairs and hit her with a drop kick. Later on, Sasha threw several chairs into the ring and attempted another meteora onto Becky, who was lying on top of the chairs, but Becky got out of the way and hit an exploder suplex on top of the chairs from the top rope and then forced Sasha to tap out to the disarmor to retain the Raw Women's Championship. Next up, they had changed the rules of the tag team match with the Bludgeon Brothers, Dana Bryan, and Roman Reigns and made it into a tornado tag match where all of them was going to be involved at one time and not have to worry about tagging in and out. There was a lot of uses of the commentary tables. The Bludgeon Brothers basically dominated most of the match, and Bryan hit a running knee on Harper, followed by Reigns hitting a Superman punch and a spear on Harper to get the victory for them. In the end, there was an offer of a handshake, and that got actually taken away, 
and Brian insisted on them hugging it out instead, and the two embraced, and Brian left Roman in the ring. At this point, this is somewhat where the audience went downhill, as they didn't know what to expect, really, especially if they didn't see any of the announcements going into the evening's performance as the rest of the card was announced just in that afternoon. So we ended up seeing Randy Orton taking on Ali, and in the end, Orton hit his RKO on Ali to get the win. The next match was Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defending the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships against the Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Carrie Zane. This came to an end when Zane distracted Alexa Bliss on the outside, and Asuka hit some green mist in Nikki's face and hit a roll-up to become the new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. This match was kind of interesting because usually the Kabuki Warriors are fan favorites and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross have been switching back and forth between being faces and heels depending on who they're going against. But in this case, they were clearly the fan favorites uh, using face tactics. The Kabuki Warriors were using all the heel tactics and picked up the victory with the Green Mist. Up next was the OC, AJ Styles, Luke Gallows, and Carl Anderson taking on the Viking Raiders, Ivar and Eric, plus a partner of their choosing who got turned into Braun Strowman, where most people probably thought it was going to be Cedric Alexander. And Strowman dominated the OC. The trio attacked Strowman, but were eventually disqualified. So the OC lost by disqualification. And then backstage, Tamina made an appearance and rolled up Carmella to become the new 24-7 champion. King Corbin then faced off against Chad Gable. This is when Corbin deemed him Shorty G, and the announcer even started calling him Shorty G. But Gable picked up the victory over King Corbin. In a somewhat awkward uh, moment, they brought out Charlotte Flair and Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship match, but then they kind of had to be on pause and stand there looking stupid in the middle of the ring while Tamina made her way to the international commentating table area. She was looking for a place to hide. She got confronted by R-Truth. She tried using Funaki as a human shield. A lot of people, including myself, thought that this would be a perfect opportunity for Funaki somehow to take the 24-7 championship away from her. Instead, Carmella made an appearance, super kicked Tamina, and R-Truth made the pin. They got the title, and him and Carmella ran off, piggybacked through the backstage area, and that took us back to the ring for the SmackDown Women's Championship match, which Charlotte Flair ended up getting the victory, winning her fifth SmackDown Championship and tenth title overall by making Bailey tap out to the figure eight. Then it came time for the disastrous main event, where Seth Rollins defended the Universal Championship against the Fiend Bray Wyatt. The lighting 
was reminiscent of Kane of 22 years ago when he wrestled at Survivor Series with the red lights on the ring and he took on Mankind. And they did this the same way with this match with Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt, or The Fiend. And the match went, I'd say, pretty much like a normal Hell in a Cell match. Of course, The Fiend ended up bringing out his gigantic mallet that we saw in one of the Firefly Funhouses, where he killed a Rambling Rabbit one time and had the jam. We had different chair shots. Seth Rollins used, I think, 11 uh, stomps and even a pedigree on The Fiend. And The Fiend kept on kicking out at one. The last kickout attempt that he had, he kicked out at two. Each time, Seth Rollins looked bewildered and not knowing what to do, how this was going to finally end. With each stomp that he kept on giving The Fiend, he was actually getting booed more and more, which was not a good situation because Seth Rollins is supposed to be the face and the Universal Champion. And then he ended up using chair on Bray Wyatt, focusing on his head. He used a ladder and focused on his head there. Still wasn't able to get rid of the Fiend. So he ended up getting a toolbox and with everything piled on top of uh, the Fiend, he was... Constantly pounding the ladder with the toolbox. He, Seth Rollins, eventually got out of the ring, got a sledgehammer. He was warned by the referee not to do so and, and use it. And Seth did use the sledgehammer. The bell instantly rang. This incited fans to question what was going on. They were booing, chanting bullshit, AEW and so forth. Even X-Pac, who was watching as part of the uh, watch-along on YouTube for WD, questioned how there could be a disqualification in a Hell in a Cell match. Seth ended up standing over top of Bray as the officials tried to get him onto a stretcher. They got The Fiend on the backboard, but as Seth stood over top of him, The Fiend ended up hitting the mandible claw. The cage was coming up. They started brawling on the outside. That's when the fans started chanting, uh, restart the match. And, of course, unfortunately, that did not happen. Rumor has it that Vince came up with this as a way of getting out of the match. And they're claiming it wasn't a disqualification. It was a referee stoppage. Yet a referee stoppage has never happened in the history of Hell in a Cell. Especially people point towards what happened with Mick Foley and Undertaker in 98. I get it. Different era with the concussions where they can explain the referee saying, Oh, I feared for his safety and his well-being. But that takes away from the aura of the fiend. They should never have gotten into this predicament. And it has nothing to do with the two performers. It was bad timing, or they should have found another way of getting out of this match or giving The Fiend the title, even. And they could have had Bray doing the Firefly Funhouse, having the belt, defend it occasionally, attacking people, doing the same thing, but defending it on sort of the same 
schedule that Brock Lesnar had. Either way, this totally took everybody out of WWE. People were saying they were going to get refunds for their uh, network subscriptions, cancel their network subscriptions. Uh, They were chanting, as I said, AEW bullshit. They just did not want this finish. They were totally loving The Fiend. They turned their back on Bray Wyatt, uh, on Seth Rollins. I'm under wraps. They turned on Seth. They placed all the blame on a referee, and a referee should never have any blame because there's no payoff in it. There's not anything going to be done with that referee. He's not a wrestler that's going to take advantage of Seth or Bray in this situation. He's just a guy in stripes. And, yeah, I got to say, the first two matches, great. The other matches, meh, they were there. They were nothing important. Everybody was waiting for The Fiend versus Seth Rollins. And with that happening, and then the way it got dragged out, and the finale of it, it just made for a really bad show. Yo, this is Tarek. You listen to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. Now let's take a look at some of the activity already that happened in WWE this past week, including Raw and NXT. Monday Night Raw was expected to start off with a match, unlike normal times, with Randy Orton going against Rusev. They recapped what happened with Lana and Rusev making out on top of the stage to end the show last week before they were interrupted by Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, going after Seth Rollins. Rusev was jumped by Randy Orton and King Corbin before the match even started. Then, after Rusev had gotten the advantage, Bobby Lashley appeared on the Titantron in the middle of the brawl, and he was wearing Rusev's robe and hopped into his bed, where he was joined by Lana. Lana then explained that all their assets are in her name now, and Bobby said, that there would be no more money being sent to Bulgaria to help Rusev's family. Out on the floor, Rusev was being laughed at by Randy Orton and Baron Corbin. Rusev then snapped and went after Orton and Corbin again, hitting them with steel steps and kicks. All three of these men will be involved in the 5-on-5 match happening in Saudi Arabia, representing Team Hogan and Team Flair. Then it was the last moment standing match with Natalia and Lacey Evans. To be honest, this match would have been better served to just be listed as a street fight instead of a last moment standing because the counts in between were just really bad. Always getting up to nine instead of slower paced. And then, yeah, that new set that people kept on saying looked like a uh, skateboarder's turnpike. Definitely played into that when Natalia got thrown into it and slid down. The ending came when Natalia put Lacey through a table that was on the floor with a powerbomb off the stage. Lacey didn't get up after that, and Natalia won. Of course, this is a rematch from the night before when Natalia had already won with a sharpshooter against Lacey Evans, and while it's great to see Natalia get a victory and never not be the pushover babyface I don't see where this sends Lacey Evans next 
kind of needed to help build her instead of tearing her down. At the same time, Lacey Evans has experienced a lot of better matches and moments, should I say, in the ring compared to other times by being with a veteran like Natalia to help her learn. The Viking Raiders defeated the Raw Tag Team Champions Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, and they will be receiving a tag team title match next week on Raw as part of the draft, the second half of the draft night. Alistair Black had been in the back wanting some competition and then decided in the next time we saw him that he was actually going to just go to the ring and challenge whoever was out there. That happened to be the Singh brothers and... Of course, Aleister Black defeated the Singh brothers with Black Mass in a two-on-one handicap match. In a somewhat entertaining match, the OC defeated the Lucha House Party. At one point, all three members of the Lucha House Party had done moonsaults off the top to the floor, but in the end, it wasn't enough to take out the OC. After the match, they beat down the House Party and AJ Styles even delivered a Styles Clash off the second rope. There was Miz TV with Charlotte and Becky. They were going to have to team together to go against the new women's tag team champions, the Kabuki Warriors. Both women had shots, and very good uh, shots, with the words back and forth to each other, even though they had to team together. Becky mentioned that she made Charlotte's belt famous, while Charlotte said that she made Becky famous by facing her. The Kabuki Warriors ended up coming out, and the match was on after they cleared out the rug from the Miz TV segment. Unfortunately, with all the distractions going on, Asuka was able to hit the green mist on Becky Lynch, and Carrie Sane ended up picking up the victory over Becky Lynch. Becky was hoping to get revenge on Asuka after the loss that she had at the Royal Rumble. They really hadn't mentioned it until just that night. And after all that happened, the Kabuki Warriors were still trying to attack and were then stopped by Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, who both came out in black attire. So... They almost looked like they were dressed as a team, unlike all the other times that they were teaming together. But you're sure to see a rematch somewhere down the line of the Kabuki Warriors taking on Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. There was a backstage segment with the Street Profits. They even talked about the uh, potential for people being drafted and gave like a preview of some a scouting report that included Apollo Crews, Drake Maverick, and Buddy Murphy. And then it was Ricochet taking on Apollo Crews. These guys know each other from way back. Uh, I think probably Lions, you know, Dragon's Gate or something like that. And for a very short match, unfortunately, they did well. Ricochet picked up the victory over Apollo Crews. And the show ended with the fact that there was going to be a confrontation between Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman. Fury wanted a 
apology from Braun Strowman for what happened at SmackDown the, on the Friday night, and that clearly turned into a normal brawl that does happen. Security couldn't hold them back. Superstars couldn't hold them back. Braun Strowman ended up being dragged away. He got interviewed and said, no, this is his ring, and went back out to brawl some more with Tyson Fury, and that's how the show ended. Taking a look at what happened on NXT Wednesday night at 8 o'clock on the WWE Network, we saw the opening match with Leo Rush defeating Drew Gulak to become the new NXT Cruiserweight Champion. The man of the hour set himself up with a springboard stunner and then the final hour to secure victory. With Shayna Baszler continued dominance over NXT Women's Championship, there's a question of who's going to be the one to finally take it from her. Well, Rhea Ripley thinks that she's going to be making that change and set her stakes out to make her point, and she defeated Aaliyah. The Forgotten Sons defeated the team of Breezango. Cameron Grimes defeated Boa. Unfortunately for Boa, he became the new target for Killian Dane's rage. North American champion... Roderick Strong defeated Isaiah Swerve Scott. After the match, Roderick Strong was confronted by Velveteen Dream, who made his intentions known that he wants his title back. Velveteen Dream wasn't the only thing that Undisputed Era had to deal with, because Tommaso Ciampa then arrived on the scene to confront Adam Cole for the second week in a row, clearing the ring of the Undisputed Era when he arrived with a steel chair and his crutch in hand. Ciampa wasn't done there, taking out Angel Garcia with a vicious strike backstage moments later in a seemingly wrong place, wrong situation. So Undisputed Era is under siege from not only Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa, and also Velveteen Dream. We'll see what happens if they have a fourth person, and that could set up for a future War Games match that should be coming up soon with NXT. Bianca Belair defeated Dakota Kai. Bianca Belair also wants to get her hands on the women's championship and could pose a roadblock to Rhea Ripley getting after Shayna Baszler. The main event saw Walter defeat Kushida. Kushida tried to push Walter beyond his limits, However, that just wasn't enough to defeat the ring general, and he got punished with chops and slaps throughout the encounter. Despite the significant size and strength disadvantage, Kushida was able to hit emotional counters and high-flying powerbomb and reverse DDT, but that unfortunately wasn't enough to stop Walter, and Walter hit a truck-like dropkick and a powerbomb, and got the pin. Walter was joined by his Imperium teammates, and they stood tall over the Japanese superstar. Kushida's going to have to find somebody to team with him to help out taking Walter and Imperium down. And that's where NXT ended for this week. We'll see what happens next Wednesday as NXT hits USA Network at 8 p.m. I was going to wait till 
Saturday morning to post this, but I'm going to post the show now and deal with the full draft later on uh, in the week once both parts are done and the rosters are set. So there will not be a Friday update in this episode. However, just a little while ago, WWE held a press conference in Las Vegas from the site of SmackDown. Michael Cole and Triple H were part of it. They announced that there's going to be two matches of major significance bringing together the worlds of WWE, MMA, and boxing. And it'll happen at Crown Jewel on October 31st. As suspected, the matches are as follows. Tyson Fury is going to go one-on-one with Braun Strowman. The other match has Cain Velasquez, who will probably have Rey Mysterio by his side because of the whole crossing the line with family, taking on Brock Lesnar. Everybody got to have speeches. They even did pose-downs or face-to-face confrontations for photos, but they promised not to get involved physically during this press conference, and they held to it. The press conference lasted about a half hour. Rey Mysterio had comments. Paul Heyman introduced Brock Lesnar. Brock did speak a bit. He didn't think he needed to since he had Paul there, but he did point out the scar that Cain Velasquez gave him 10 years ago, and this has been 10 years of waiting to get his hands on Velasquez. Now they both have something in common, wanting revenge on each other. Cain for what happened to Dominic and Brock for what happened 10 years ago in UFC. So that's what happened today. Crown Jewel is their next event happening October 31st. I believe that is a Thursday. It's going to happen in the afternoon here in North America for us. And including those two matches is also the 10-man tag with Team Hogan versus Team Flair. So far, we know that Team Hogan is officially represented by Seth Rollins and Rusev, and Team Flair has Orton and Baron Corbin. I'm imagining Bobby Lashley will be added, and a few others still yet to be determined to finish out the 10 men that are going to be on this card. That does bring us to this Friday night, where on SmackDown, live on Fox, 8 p.m., is night one of the draft. There's a lot of celebrities there's rumored to be attending. There's possibly even going to be executives from USA Network and Fox, whether they're legit or posing, people posing as them, actors. But they're going to have involvement. There's supposed to be an opening match of Seth Rollins taking on Roman Reigns. Seth is representing Raw. Roman representing SmackDown. Whoever wins that match gets the first pick for their respective show, while at the same time being available to be drafted. It's kind of weird. I'll go through that in just a second. Because yesterday, they ended up posting what the rules are for this year's draft. They're kind of going back in time to how everybody's doing picks. It's not a randomizer. It's not even a... Uh, superstar shakeup where somebody just magically appears they're actually going to be drafting people and the rules have it that half the roster is available for tonight and the other half is going to be available for monday night to decide where they're going each side is going to have 
picks. SmackDown is going to draft 30 superstars. Tag teams are not going to be split up. Super, uh, tag teams consist of one pick each. Unless a network executive, whoever the figurehead is, decides they want to split somebody up. Such as maybe taking Big E away from the New Day is one of my predictions. Raw is going to end up getting 41 picks, probably about 45 in total by the time they're done, because the rule is stating that since SmackDown is two hours and Raw is three hours, SmackDown gets two picks to every three picks of Raw. So it balances out. You get a pick per hour, basically. I have posted what my dream rosters would be at least partly. Of course, there's some people missing off that list that I even made. But if you go over to our Facebook page, you can be a part of trying to decide what rosters you would like to see, where the switches would go. We're going to have a little competition to see who can get the most right. You have a chance of listing 44 people in total. I want you to make... Two rosters, a Raw roster, a SmackDown roster. List five main eventers, five mid-card, five women, five tag teams, and two surprises. Whether it's somebody being brought up from NXT to the respective roster or a returning superstar as a surprise. If you do that, post it on our Facebook page. It's in the announcements section. We'll total up after Monday to see where people actually landed in their picks for the final roster. You get a maximum of 44 points and bragging rights of having the best roster draft predictions. So join us over on our Facebook page. You can see my list. It's posted right now. And until next time, have a great one. Enjoy the WD draft. Hopefully it's a lot better than what we experienced with Hell in a Cell on Sunday. And let's just all enjoy wrestling. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night.